This is the Like-Minded Investors Real Estate Podcast, episode number one. My name is Kira Vogt, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill McKee, and we could not be more excited that you are here listening to our very first podcast episode with our very first guests, Lauren and Kyle Clugson from at Rentals to Wealth on Instagram. I am so pumped. They are here kicking off our new podcast, and we know you guys are going to get a ton of value from our chat with them because they definitely had a few mic drop moments. Yeah, and one of those mic drop moments was uh, talking about staying in your lane. Uh, and when it comes to working with your spouse, I won't give it away, uh, but I was personally blown away by it, and I don't even have a spouse. I do have a spouse, and I was blown away by that. Uh, the dash line agreement that um, they talk about and using your blinker when going in and out of each other's lane, that's some, definitely something I'm going to implement uh, into my partnership with my husband. And I also liked how they touched on all that DIY stuff too. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm about to close on my first flip. So I really like how they have been very much DIY up to this point and even starting to scale a little bit by hiring some things out. Um, but I really like their take on how uh, the DIY gave them a lot of lessons moving forward and a appreciation for the work that goes into it and allowed them to save some money on um, some deals and kind of make those deals happen. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of making deals happen, it was so interesting to hear how calculating they are with the properties they buy and, and how they buy them. Like thinking ahead about who's going to quit their job first, which will definitely be Lauren, it sounds like. Um, so, you know, they've been putting the deed in both names, but front loading Lauren with the mortgages so she can quit her job first. And then they'll continue to leverage Kyle's DTI for future properties. I just, it's such a smart strategy. I, I mean, they just cover so much in this episode, everything from house hacking to finding a private money lender to even a boxer wanting to live in one of their storage units. I mean, they just have such a great story. I know they are, they are such an inspiring power couple. And I think the audience is going to get a ton out of this episode. Um, so I think we should just bring them in. All right. Welcome Lauren and Kyle. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited. Episode number one. Woo! Super excited. <laughs> we are honored that you are our first guest, right, Bill? Absolutely. It's we've we've known you guys for a little bit and we're super excited to have you guys. It's like it's funny because we like talk face to face at like meetups and stuff, and now we're on a podcast on your well, podcast. Well, we've actually never met Kirsten in person, yeah, which is yeah, so yeah, weird yeah. because I <laughs> consider you like a in real life friend but we haven't met in real life yet so it's so weird yeah lauren will go missing in the house for like an hour and i'm like she, she'll pop up yeah i was on the phone with kirsten <laughs> we gotta get kirsten to it. a meetup i know i'm mad i missed the last one i will be at one for sure for sure um yeah so i guess to start off um if you guys want to just tell us a little bit about yourself kind of what you're currently investing in what you're doing how'd you get there give us the your little spiel the whole rundown. Well, we started back in 2017 with a house hack and we were engaged at the time. And, you know, long story short, it was like, we had some money to invest and we stumbled upon bigger pockets and rich dad, poor dad, like most people do and realized that turning your, what people think is your biggest investment, which is really kind of also your biggest liability actually into an asset. 
Yeah, I had I, I had zero investment in experience, or you know, I was never taught like any sort of investment, like which I feel like a lot of people are in the same boat and they're just getting into it and they're trying to figure out like, is this the right avenue for me? And then Lauren kind of brought the idea to me and I was handy, like I had done some home renovations in the past. Um, so it was, and I considered it kind of like a hobby. Yeah. So to do a house hack and we were going to DIY the reno was like, it, it, I knew it was just kind of going to work out. Perfect combination of our skills. And since then, so over the last four years, we've grown our portfolio to about 10 units and then a few um, storage units as well, like, like garage bays, not facilities. <laughs> and um, it's been fun. We've been doing that through house hacking, through the birth strategy, and we're just kind of slowly growing. And we are actually sitting right now in our most recent house hack. We just moved in over the weekend. Everyone's like, oh my God, are, like the renovation's over. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> we have a functioning bathroom and a bedroom. We actually have a, the drywaller downstairs spackling right now. So it's a, it's a fun You can probably journey. hear the banging in the background. He's <laughs> <It's> just like <laughs> dimpling like the screw heads. Yep. Yep. So yep. how did you guys um, get into real estate? Like what, like, I know you said that the book, like what made you read that book in the first place, Lauren? Like. Mm -hmm. How'd so, you get started? What made you want to do it? <laughs> so thanks to Mr. Google, I typed into Google um, something like investing in your 20s. Like what should a 20 year old invest in? Because thanks to my parents, um, I had a lot of savings, like probably legitimately my communion money and like my third birthday money in a oh, savings she did. account. Yeah, she did. <laughs> and I realized, you know, I should probably do something with this because a savings account isn't working. And Brandon Turner used to have a blog before Bigger Pockets called uh, Real Estate Investing in Your 20s. And I devoured that entire thing. And he actually had an ebook. It was called Seven Years to Seven Figures Wealth, Seven Figure Wealth. And I downloaded that, printed it out, gave it to Kyle. And I was like, you got to read this. We were just dating at the time. So she like, hey, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> we like just graduated college. Yeah, our did, our yeah. focus is like, you know, living life and having a good time. And then at some point, my brother told me to read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm not sure if it was before or after um, reading Brandon's blog, but it was definitely around the same time frame. And so, you know, Rich Dad Poor Dad gave me that like investing mindset and, you know, you don't want to work for the rest of your life. And then I think Brandon Turner kind of gave me, gave us yeah. the means to not working the rest of your lives. Yeah, I love that. So yeah. house hacking, um, great place to start. I know Bill's about to do a live-in flip. I love yeah. the live-in mentality of things and kind of like what you were just talking about, turning what people think is their, their biggest liability into an asset. So, um, you know, I guess, did you fall into that or did you, did you kind of know, all right, this is, this is going to help us start our real estate investing journey. Yeah. So Lauren had brought the idea of investing and yeah, our first property that we were looking at, we always knew would be a duplex or even three family, but most likely a duplex that we would live in and rent out another unit. And it was like, that seemed a little less, you know, imitate, uh, intimidating than, uh, than just buying a straight up investment property. Because you know your tenants downstairs, your first time managing, it's it's a great way to kind of ease into it. The risks are lower, the yeah. barrier of entry is lower. It's more affordable. You get so many benefits. I mean, better rates. Yeah, better rates, lower insurance, like so many things. 
And so we were very purposeful. It was by no means a coincidence that our first house was a house hack. Like that and was our goal. Don't be mistaken that there are like professional tenants out there that like are looking to take, unfortunately, advantage of like new landlords that they can tell are new. So the laws for a house hack are a little lenient to, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, at least in New Jersey, I can't speak about the whole country, yeah. but because it's your primary residence. So for example, and maybe if our lawyer, Bonnie listens to this, she can correct me, but I'm pretty sure that if, because it's your primary residence, even during the eviction moratorium, you still had leverage and could get a tenant out of your home. If it was a house act, because it's your home. So yeah. and it took, take some of the risk out. Yeah, there, there are so many advantages. You know, when I wanted to get started investing, I was spending like, I think $2,000 a month in mortgage to live in the city and not have parking. And I saw bigger pockets. I saw you guys and instantly it just, I mean, from a financial perspective made sense. I was always budgeting my money and, you know, here's this thing where you can basically cut your mortgage in half or, or down to zero almost even in this market sometimes. So it just is, I think for rookies, even though I'm not doing it myself, I think it is one of the the better ways to get started. And it always depends on your goals too, because I've got guys at work that are looking to move into areas that they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford if they didn't hedge that with a, a tenant. Yeah. But Bill, even though you're not house hacking, you're still utilizing your primary residence as an investment strategy to gain long-term wealth, to then buy more investment property. So, and like we were, Everyone, a lot of people we talk to when they find out we're house hacking, especially in the past when we were living in a, like a super tiny one bedroom apartment. Oh, I can't do it because I live here or I have kids or I have a very extensive like vegetable garden or whatever their excuse is that they can't house hack. And you could find or make a house hack work for you. Like in theory, um, if you're not the he's door. working on the ceiling directly <laughs> underneath us. <laughs> here we go live in renovation like this is reality um like it doesn't have to be a two family home it could be a single family home and you airbnb out a room on the weekends you could rent it out to a roommate you could rent out your garage as storage you can have a garage that you rent out you can hire or you could rent a piece of your land to someone who has an rv and park it over the winter like there are so many different ways that you can house hack it doesn't have to be this like textbook and way. it is mind-blowing how many people are actually in the market for a single car garage rental like i did not understand really the market in that until we got our triplex with the with the we have five garages and we had a massive amount of people reaching out to rent them definitely yep same, same thing happened to me with our duplex that we bought two years ago. I had that garage rented within one week. And then I had people reaching out telling me they would pay a hundred to $150 more than I had it listed for. And I'm like, Oh, why did I jump so quickly? <laughs> Funny story. We had somebody actually reach out that we found was going to live in our garage. What? Yeah, so quick story time. So we posted it on Facebook. And we were very specific, like for storage only, like you can't run a business out of here. It's not your man cave. Like it is for storage. And this guy reached out and was like, does it have electric? And we're like, yes. And then he just like kept asking these questions. And I was like, what are you planning on using? And he said, for was, my personal belongings. Yeah. He, he was like a UFC fighter of some kind and was like, I spent all my time at the gym and I'm never really home anyway. All I would be doing is sleeping. And we're like, I was like, there's Wait, no toilet. Sleeping? Like, what are you going to do? Pee like, on the side of the garage? I mean, I appreciate his hustle. Like it's he, January. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I appreciate his hustle. He was like, I got a place where I could shower. I spend most of my time. I'm just trying to find a place to lay my head at night. I get it. 
but this is not the place for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely so much interest. So it, you know, storage facilities is something that we've been like marinating a little bit on. Yeah, for sure. Ooh, exciting. Mm. We'll have to have you guys back on if, if uh, you find something and it goes through and you become storage unit investors. We'll see. We will see. Is that a little uh, spoiler on like-minded? Did we just get some uh, breaking <laughs> news. Management is so much easier. I mean, that, that we found out that like, you know, there's no waiting. You know, they don't pay, you know, basically they're, they're out. Yeah. I mean, there's no maintenance calls. It's super easy. I mean, you obviously have more tenants, but I no, it's not a spoiler, but maybe this is us manifesting it. We'll say. Yeah. I think it, I agree with you. I think it's an awesome investment. I mean, we, we've seen other people dive into it through Instagram. I think investor girl Brit has dived into it recently and i think other people are interested in in it with that what was it aj osborne book or whatever so i mean i don't think it's you guys already have that experience yeah i think we would definitely want to go the like uh smaller size self-service if you will where like you know we don't have an office we don't sell boxes it's very much just like a 20 garage bay facility in a town with you know no driveways and no other garages i guess yeah we'll see though we're open-minded i'm excited about it totally agree i think the name of the game with investing is being open-minded and pivoting and just trying your best at whatever comes your way and learning along the way i mean fear is natural but i think jumping into something and learning and having the support of the community and family and friends i think is key exactly yeah and speaking of fear i feel like that you know, people are afraid to, to do their first real estate investment because they have the fear of, I don't know, either finding the deal or finding the money for a deal. But, you know, jumping back to like the house hacking and the burring and doing a live and flip and all that stuff. Um, I feel like that kind of, like we were talking about earlier, takes away a little bit of the risk. Um, but as far as like financing, like how have you guys, you know, how did you start with your first one? I know you did say you had a lot of money saved up, but I'm sure you, you wound up blowing through that with... <laughs> <laughs> with you know your down payments and the renovations and stuff that you did so how do you continue um on your on your financing journey lots of debt, <laughs> lots of debt. it's good debt though <laughs> yeah so our first one we put 20 percent down looking back we probably should have put down less i honestly just didn't know better and i don't think we knew what our real estate journey looked like and we wanted a lower down payment like having that excuse me, a lower monthly mortgage payment and so putting 20% down because we had the cash made sense. Um, not I don't think we really knew that PMI like went away after you gained 20% equity. So like we were that we were renovating and then we were going to refi. We definitely could have put mm -hmm. less down. And, and when you're getting started, there are so many things you have to figure out that not having to figure out creative financing was like something that I could check the box and move on. Like, okay, I have 20% down. I'm not going to look up any other options because there's so many other things we have to learn. So I think that's also part of the reason why we didn't put down less just because I didn't want to think about it. And if it, if somebody is like stuck in that stage, I would highly suggest just get that first property, maybe put a little bit more down because the faster you can start gaining equity that you can then use as financing later <clears throat> that you can either open up a HELOC or refi on that property, I mean, the better. Because the goal obviously is to become your own bank, so. Exactly, which is, has been one of the other ways that we funded our deals is we do have a HELOC on our first property. Mm -hmm. And that has been used for either renovations or actually 
outright buying a deal in cash and then purring later on. Um, so it's been nice, but we've used a mix of conventional financing, both owner occupant and investment, um, private money and our HELOC, right? Yeah, that's it. You want to explain, I guess, for, um, you know, newer people who are listening, um, the difference between like the owner occupant loans that you've done and the investment loans that you've done. Sure. So one of the amazing things about house hacking is you are able to get an owner occupant loan. And what that just means is that you're saying that this is going to be your primary residence for at least a year. And because of that, they reward you with some perks. So the main one is you get a lower interest rate, you know, the U S encourages home ownership. And so they give you that, um, you also, are able to put less down. So you could do an FHA and do 3.5%. You could do a conventional and put as, and you could put 5% down. Um, and you also get, you may be able to get closing cost assistance. Whereas if it's strictly an investment property, you have to put down at least 20%, sometimes 25%. Your interest rate's definitely gonna be a little bit higher. And it's just, I don't wanna say this, like, yeah, it's just a lot of perks. Basically, the U.S. encourages home ownership, and they reward you via mortgage benefits. And then the nice thing well is, yeah, very well said. I think the nice thing too about that is you get to keep those mortgages on the properties when you move to the next one. Ooh, for the most yes, part, yes, yes. So, and then also something to keep in mind because, like, we had an FHA for our triplex that we house hacked. Um, in order for us to then qualify for another FHA, we would have to refi into a conventional. And uh, unfortunately, that would restart like the one year occupancy period, but that would open up another FHA that we could use after that one year. Yeah, you definitely have to be careful because I have heard of people who will house hack burr, which we did. But when you refinance, you're restarting that primary resident mortgage. And, and, and so you're restarting the one year owner occupancy period. And if your plan is to every year, you know, get another house hack, you don't want to be refinancing. Yeah. So you need to take into account the fact that that property is going to, you're going to live there for two years. Basically. Yeah. I have a question actually. Um, Cause I found a portfolio lender who didn't require that. Did, did you come across that with every bank? Like, did you call a lot of banks or, or what? I did not call a lot. So going back to the original loan, how I said, like, I figured that out and then I stopped researching it. We found a lender that got what we were trying to do. We liked and, you know, got us good rates. And so I just stopped kind of looking at that point. Yeah. Now, as we're growing, we're, we've been looking a little bit more, trying to find um, the best rate, the best partner. Um, but in the beginning, it was like, we found someone who worked for us. And so I, you it know- It was local too, yeah. so it was- uh, The box was checked to move on to the next thing. Yeah. That's what I love about you, Lauren. You just, you do the thing, you get it done and you move on to the next- the next thing well, you need to focus on. And I on. think that that's come from, we are we suffer from analysis paralysis so bad in the beginning and you can research every, okay, there are like a hundred boxes that you have to check when you close on your first inv investment property. And you could spend weeks, months, years researching each box. And it just gets to a point where you just have to execute and move on. And yeah, maybe did you leave a little bit of money on the table? Possibly. Could you have gotten point oh two percent less on your interest rate? Maybe, but- would you maybe have not closed on your deal for another six months or another year? You know, at some point you just, it's the cost of doing business and you just got to move forward and exactly. take action. Exactly. 
Ooh, yeah. I love that. I love it too. Is, is that 0.2% really worth your time in the end? Yeah. And then like what I had to call 20 banks to, you know, get that little bit of a rate adjustment. And if you're happy where you're at and you have a good relationship with the person, I, you know, I think sometimes relationships matter over some other things. So it all works out. We are all big relationship people, I think here. Yes. Yep. I feel that's how we all found each other was. Yeah. Yeah. Networking and just hanging out and groups and online. Actually, I think I met all of you virtually um through the new jersey meetup even though i don't even live in new jersey (laughs) i'm so glad that you joined yeah same obviously yeah (laughs) i met bill through you guys because you guys brought me into that into that little networking group and i'm like oh hey bill and we've been working together for how long like a year and now we're doing a podcast and you guys are our first guests we're doing a podcast you guys are our first guest you guys introduced me to the group too so yeah. And what I love is like, I'm assuming here that you did not go into that meetup saying I'm looking for a relationship that I'm then going to be a co-host with in the future. Like, no, you just go in without any transactional, you know, desires and you build these relationships and then something comes of it in the future. Some people will ask like, you know, what are you trying to get out of this? Well, if you don't have an answer to that, it's okay. I mean, you're going to, you're going to find what you need along the way when you least expect it. And Kira and I, I think you, you and I have talked about this in the, in the past, um, that there's like a universal safety deposit box and, yep. you know, you just kind of keep putting these actions out there for no purpose other than to just put good out in the world with some sort of mindset that it will eventually work out in the end. And so if, helping people and, you know, giving people subcontacts or, um, you know, helping them with a social media post or something. The more genuine, when you do it, the more benefit, I just think you're going to have in the long run, because it really is fulfilling helping others. Like we just love talking about this. And so if we can help others and smooth their road a little bit along the way, like we love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's exactly why Bill and I started this podcast. We're like, we have no idea where this is going to go. We just know we love talking to people, sharing, you know, our knowledge and the knowledge we're hopefully going to learn over the next however many episodes that we, that we do this for, and then have you guys on and guests on to share your guys's knowledge. And I just think, yeah, we're just going to keep depositing into that universal bank and it'll come back to us hopefully tenfold at some point. (laughs) Exactly. I agree. Yep. Yep. So, um, I guess my next question, um, Bill, do you have, do you have any questions before I keep monopolizing the the questions here? I do actually. So speaking about helping people, you guys, uh, have a YouTube channel where you guys document pretty much everything about your journey. Um, what made you guys start that? It's a good question. So we (laughs) share everything. Wait, do you want like the business answer or do you no, want well, like- well, let's let's take it let's <laughs> take it back because we we'll take it back to like the the dawn of our Instagram page because yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. where it started and it it started first Lauren started blogging it and it about our first house hack and correct me if I'm wrong but it was multi beneficial it was it was teaching others while we kind of taught ourselves and documenting our journey so that when we go to do the next property we could go back and be like, okay how did we do this and and just refer back um and then it became 
it just kind of got a life of its own where we were sharing what we were doing. Other people were also doing it at the same time. And a lot of times I would run into something because I had never done a full home renovation before uh, where I'd actually reach out to people that we were friends with and they would help. Hey, no, this is how you do it. You do it like this. Um, and they kind of, it just kind of grew. To yeah. Do it, and like, its own thing. and circling back to what we were saying before about how you don't need to have a purpose when you start something. So when I started the Instagram, people were like, well, what's the end goal? What's your strategy? Like what product are you creating or what are you doing? And like for a really long time. And even now, like there's no real strategy. We're not yeah. like trying to build an audience for a specific reason. It was just, we really enjoyed sharing what we were doing, helping others. And you know, I'm a fan of Gary Vee and he's very much, his saying is document, don't create. I will never talk about how to fill a vacancy if I don't have a vacancy. Kyle will not show you how to, you know, tile a bathroom unless we are actually tiling a bathroom. And so, you know, sometimes people will reach out and be like, oh, can you do a YouTube video on this? And I was like, if I have a vacancy, I will, but I won't until then because we're just taking you along on the journey because when we first started, I'm a big researcher. I love like reality television. And I was like, Ooh, I just want to see like, what does it look like? And I don't want this like beautifully curated, like HGTV episode. I want to see what does it look like? What does your day look like? What materials are you buying? What kind of arguments are you having with your spouse? And I felt like there wasn't a lot of that. And so we just started doing that. And for the people that don't have a massive portfolio, they're not going to have a team that works specifically for them. So what happens when your sheetrocker or your electrician isn't available? Like, wh what do you do? You know, mm -hmm. who do you reach out to? How do you develop maybe a backlog of electricians over time and relationships that maybe, yes, you don't use them on a daily basis, but developing those relationships to backlog those trades. So that's the real life situation. I mean, and then that's, kind of mm -hmm. what we're doing. And then, so on Instagram to actually answer your question about YouTube, we, you know, we do post, but where I loved the most was the stories. I love just sharing the stories of what we were doing that day. Yes. I enjoy posting and like writing a caption, but I wouldn't, I, you'll never see me stick to like a three to five, you know, post three to five times a week. Like it's not happening. Yeah. If I got something to say, we'll say it. Yeah. And so YouTube, I just felt like was a nicer version of Instagram stories where it's still a vlog. We're still taking you along with us. And it's a way for us to share the step-by-step -step details that people just glossed over all the time. And it just goes back to like, we're having fun with our journey. And if you watching ours can help you at all in your journey, like that is super fulfilling for us. Yeah. And it's like YouTube, like I love stories, but I hate that they disappear in 24 hours. So it's like YouTube, I can always go back to your guys' first burr, or, uh, burr, <laughs> burr and be like, okay, how'd they do this? Or what material, material did they use for this? It's like kind of exactly like you said, it's almost like, yeah, documenting it. And it's like a living, yeah, a living document of what you guys have done. So that's cool. Yeah. We get the opportunity to share a lot more uh, knowledge and tips and humor and a little bit more about us personally than Instagram kind of offers. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So um, <laughs> speaking of arguments with spouse, <laughs> um, what, do you, what has been like your guys' like biggest, um, I guess, challenge working together as, you know, husband and wife and, and partners? Surprisingly, like I, we're doing so much better than I ever thought that we would. We, we always had a running joke when we were like dating and first before, prior to real estate that if we were, do you remember that show Amazing Race? 
or it was like yes. couples. And, well, we always yeah. had a joke that like if we ever were on Amazing Race, like we would never leave the starting line because we would just be sitting there arguing from the get go. It hasn't been <laughs> like that. It really hasn't. So that's 100 true. Like I think we're doing really well, but I'll say the times that arguments happen is like let me take it on a little journey. When we first started, we did everything together because it's so it's fun. It's exciting. Like this is a fun journey you're going on with your spouse, your partner, or whatever, and it's new. And so we both want to do everything. And then that stays fun, but that's where like the source of a lot of arguments come because now it's two people making every decision and working on every task. And at first we were kind of like, this is so frustrating. We're so opposite in a way. How can we run a business together? And then we started realizing like, well, no, it would actually be a waste of talent if we both had the same skills and the same strengths. We should actually be using our differences to divvy up the tasks so we could each excel on those and take ownership of those decisions. So once we started doing that and realizing like, hey, I should be not, I sh like shouldn't be making renovation calls and like, hey, Kyle, maybe you shouldn't be like scheduling and doing some of the logistics stuff. It became a lot easier. And so it's two things. One, weekly meetings, because I am thinking about things all the time, which means- You have no idea. Like this doesn't ever stop. It's it's like, I'm, I'm not even in her head and I'm exhausted like with her, the sh stream of ideas and <laughs> thoughts coming out like i'm always like a day in advance yeah. a week ahead a year ahead like and i'm very much in the present like mm -hmm. problem solving with whatever we're doing in the in the moment not thinking about tomorrow which now works so well in the business but in the beginning it was super frustrating because we were flashing all the time so first thing weekly meetings it gives me a safe spot to bombard kyle with all of the questions it allows him to be focused and present and think about the things that like we need to talk about. So that's a big one. And then really just to dividing up tasks. And we've talked about this a bit before and I'm writing, we're actually going to be doing a whole YouTube video on this that, and I just wrote the script for it. So this is why it's like so fresh in my head, but we talk about the dash line agreement and basically the synopsis is, uh, solid yellow line on a road means that traffic is traveling in the opposite direction. Well, that's not good. You guys need to be going in the right direction. A straight, or excuse me, a solid white line means you're both traveling in the same direction, but you're in your lanes. And people think that that's like the ideal partnership. Like you're in your lane and I'm in mine and we do not crisscross, but we're all humans. And sometimes you need help. So the true key to a partnership is a dashed white line, which is we're both traveling in the same direction. We both have our own lanes, but we have the ability to come into each other's lane when needed. But with the caveat that you must use your blinker both when you're coming in and when you're leaving. And like that has been super helpful for us because I, Kira knows this because Kira and I are in a little accountability group and I decided that my homework was I'm going to create a project management Airtable document, and it is going to be so streamlined and so awesome. And it's going to make our renovation happen super smooth. We're going to order the supplies when we need them. We're going to have the painter in like the day after sheetrock is on. Like there's going to be no downtime. So excited to show Kyle this project management document that has to do with his area of expertise in his lane. Not only did I not tell him I was coming in the lane, he didn't even know, like he did not, basically I cut him off and it would be like, and, it and not taking an anything against an Lauren, but like, it would be like me creating a property management yeah. software for her. 
because I manage the subs, I know that that is an absolutely unrealistic program. Like it just wouldn't work because I'm managing other people and their time that have other jobs also, just like we do. And it just doesn't work out that way. Like time, they, a lot of times you got to reschedule and it just doesn't, it doesn't work. So yeah. it, it definitely, I it mean, was a good idea. No, but it caught like to be, you know, transparent. It caused like a huge argument. And yeah. I was like, like, what are you talking about? I spent so much time on this because I'm trying to help you and I'm trying to help our business. And I couldn't see his perspective of you came into my lane. You did a job that wasn't needed. And now you're pissed at me because like, and I had just walked in from work, like walked in from work, still in work not clothes. during a week like, meeting. I worked late. I think I worked till like eight, nine o'clock. And I remember being dark out when I came home and then she got that and then got mad and it, and it created an argument, which just circling back, Lauren had mentioned weekly meetings that we had implemented. And I think one of the biggest positives that has come out of treating it a little bit more like a business is being able to separate like husband and wife, Lauren and Kyle, and then business partner, Lauren and Kyle, because there needs to be a separation there. I mean, a lot of, it just can't be all bouncing back and forth. There has to be. I just broke both rules. She did. And in, in, in that instance. And, and that's, we learned from it. that's made a massive, massive difference in our relationship as well. So I'm a little bit scared to ask, what uh, what are you guys using now then to, to manage your renovations? That's on my lane. You answer the yeah. question. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so I I'm I do not do like I'm not a program technology. I don't do. That. I'm very much more like. You're very much not a desk. I am verbal, much more verbal, and I just kind of remember. Now, granted, I'm only managing one property, so if I'm managing multiple projects at once it would be a lot more pen and paper i mean i'm that's just the way i work um so that's why the the program kind of i was like uh, because i i i'd be like you want to teach me how to use this thing because i don't know what i'm doing on it <laughs> that's so funny i'm like the total opposite i am tech all the way but as like i'm getting ready to close on this flip i'm already building out my project management software keeping organized documenting well, i'll give everything. you mine because no one's using it if you want it bill <laughs> I might. <laughs> yeah, Bill is definitely the uh, the brains behind um, the Like Minded Investors podcast. He we he set up this awesome like thing for us to follow. It's like a, almost like a wiki of like all of the, the things that need to happen for the podcast, and it's just it's incredible. He keeps track of everything, and I'm like, this is this is amazing. When I when we get our next flip, I'm like, Bill, you need to set something up like this for my my flip. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh... I use, I mean, my day job is software. I help people build it. And the only way to keep developers organized is to use technology to keep them organized. So it kind of translates in a lot of ways into real estate and, you know, having that mindset of, you know, fail early and fail fast. And, um, you know, what did I do good this week? What did I do bad? How can I improve it? All of those mindsets have kind of helped me get in the mindset of real estate investing. And I'm sure it'll help other people. And it kind of sounds similar to what you guys are doing with the, the weekly meetups and everything, just kind of making sure you guys are on task and not getting in each other's way with the dash lines, or if you are doing it with purpose. So definitely. And like, we can tell when we have skipped a few weekly meetings, like it is fully aware. And we kind of just both say to each other, like, so you want to meet on Monday? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's 
Talking about the dash line, it's so funny. I was just talking to my sheetrocker downstairs, and he worked with a couple prior to so funny that this came up that he worked with a couple that the husband worked directly with him, but the wife also worked with the subs as well. So the husband would come in, say, yeah, it looks good. Everything looks good. And then the wife would come in and say, no, I don't like this. Take it out, change it. And then she would yell at the husband. So, and eventually he stopped working for them. So that negatively impacted obviously their business. So that dash line is a, a good one, huh? Thanks. I absolutely love that analogy, Lauren. And it's so cool that you learned it from making that quote unquote mistake. You know what I mean? Incredible. So I have a question about your weekly meetings because me and my husband are absolutely terrible at actually doing ours. Well, it'll be Thursday and we're like, did we meet on Sunday? No. And then it's like, do we really want to do it on Friday? No, we'll wait till Sunday. And sometimes it doesn't happen. So um, what happens at your weekly meetups? Do you got or weekly meetings? Do you guys meet? I know they recommend to like meet outside of your home. I don't know with COVID and everything going on if, if you guys do that or if you did it prior. Kind of give us like a rundown of what goes on at your weekly meeting. So in a perfect scenario, we would the weekly meeting would be in home. But we would, so uh, we read the book Traction, which really liked, and they lay out a really nice weekly, quarterly, and an annual agenda for meetings. And we started doing that. And then we kind of realized that if it's a difference between having a meeting at a, at a less organized level or just not having one at all, having one is better. Yeah. So now we kind of just at least I like all week, if I have a question and it's not an emergency, I just like keep it in my notes. And then when we come to our meeting, we sit down and we just kind of go through the different things. Like we'll go through our schedule. We'll go through like, okay, so if that's happening this week, what needs to happen next week? And what do we need to do to prep for that? And we, then we schedule whoever we need to schedule. Like it's pretty, it's very much a whiteboard meeting. Yeah. So we have a basically just roll out a calendar on it. And we are just laying out what our next couple of weeks look like. Definitely schedule based. Uh, yeah, definitely schedule based. And it's it's more so so that because I have to tell her like who we're paying and when people are coming, especially if now we're going to be in a live-in work site, we definitely need to know when people are coming because we have a dog in the house and there's a little couple of little hurdles. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was schedule based. And then sure. we... I, I want to say we try, but it just hasn't happened. We have, we have the intention to do quarterly meetings and have those be more goal focused. So, you know, in the beginning of the year, we did a yearly meeting where we set up goals and KPIs for the year. And so in theory, the quarterly meetings would uh, make sure we're holding ourselves accountable for those. But I, I, this is just an excuse, but like the last three months, really last five months have just been like such a grind for us we've definitely been working more in the business than on it. So we're kind of at the point where like, we just need to like finish this renovation and then we can lift our heads above water. Like we're just focusing, executing on this now. And then we'll, you know, revert back in a bit. Yeah. I guess he's going to go talk to the. <laughs> the <laughs> yes, we just got a text from the sheet rocker. Uh, he said manana, which means I think he's coming back tomorrow nice it is kind of late right uh, yeah i mean he didn't late. get here till 5 30 so oh. yeah. wow so 
then you're outsourcing stuff now, Lauren. I think that's a, a good topic to chat about quick. Um, I know, you know, we, you and I have talked about this before about DIYing versus outsourcing. When do you outsource? When does it make sense? Um, so I guess, I don't know if we should wait for Kyle to get back or whatnot, but maybe we'll, take, we'll have your take on it first. Sure. So I will say DIYing has been very beneficial to us to get us to where we are now. We've saved a significant amount of money, which allows our properties to cash flow more, which gives us more money to reinvest. So I'm very glad that we did do that. But now we are at the point where we want to start having a family. We want to start scaling a bit and we want to focus on some other things like the YouTube channel or just like, you know, enjoying our lives and outsourcing is really one of the only things that's going to make that happen. And so we're doing it slowly. So first we started with repairs on our existing units, you know, in the past we lived so close, if not in our properties that Kyle would just run and take care of it. And you know, it never felt like a bother. Like, oh, we weren't doing anything. We weren't doing anything anyway. So we might as well just go do it. And then it just got to the point where it became a slippery slope. Or when we weren't available to take care of it, we didn't have an existing contact base. And now it turned into an emergency. And so the sooner that you could kind of start implementing those things, even if it's not necessary at the time, I think the better. But so, yeah, so now we're at the point where we want to start outsourcing. And so with this renovation, we budgeted for it to primarily be a DIY renovation, but we're seeing the benefits of just outsourcing to get it done sooner than later. Because like I mentioned, like our mind just can't focus on building our portfolio right now. Cause we're just so in the weeds with this. And so for example, sheetrocking, we, we knew we were going to, you know, hire out taping and mudding, um, but we were going to hang. And we got to a point where it was like, let's price this out. How long is it going to take us? We are amateur sheetrockers. We do it once, you know, a year, if not twice a year, maybe how long is it going to take us? What's our time worth? And how much is it going to cost to hang somebody or excuse me, to hire somebody else who's going to do it so much better and so much quicker. And so right now it's really just like a, what's my time worth. So we are still doing a lot. Like we definitely outsource electric plumbing, um, HVAC, you know, we would do outsource roofing. Um, but a lot of the carpentry stuff Kyle's been doing it, and a lot of the finishing work, we've been doing it together. So really, I would say moving forward, just our missing piece is really like that carpenter. Yeah. Um, and then we did just meet a, like a GC that has subs to do all of that. And that would be nice. I know. So stop me if you, I'm repeating what you said. Um, we did meet a GC that has all these subs, and which would be very nice moving forward, especially for birds. Just turn them over real quick and get a tenant in there. Um, yeah, because time is money. Like for the yeah. house hack, if we don't move in for another month, it's not the end of the world. We're not necessarily losing any money because there's not a tenant we're trying to get in. But a burr, the quicker you get a tenant in, you know, every month you're losing money, if yeah. you will. So like technically now with our timeline, I think that we could probably easily say two months of rent compared to the savings. Right. And at that point, like maybe, yeah, we're saving money for sure, depending upon what the scope of work is. But um, I don't know if it's, if it's worth to continue DIYing. DIYing. You Even know though I, I think, love doing it and we do save money, but. Yeah, but you know what I do think too? Um, I think Lauren, we've talked about this before, um, learning like what goes into the project and how you want things done so that you can supervise uh, those subs or even that GC in the future. I think, I think um, DIYing is a great place to start to learn. 
and it gives you an idea of when you're looking at at costs and renovation and renovation uh, budgets, when people are giving you numbers under really understanding what goes into the work that they're quoting. Um, when you're looking at it from the outside and you don't really understand what happens behind the walls, it's very easy to say, wow, that's way too much. But you then understand, wow, that's actually a lot of work that you don't even see. And a lot of the budget is behind the walls. <laughs> Which took me so long to other understand. In our first house hack, I 100% was like, just watching HGTV, like we're going to put up cute white cabinets and coat we're going to coat of paint and a tenant's going to come here and it's going to be amazing. And then we're writing like, you know, thousand, like multi-thousand dollar checks to our plumber and to the electrician. And it's everything that goes behind the wall. And then, and then, you know, we're like running out of budget. And now when it comes to the stuff that people actually see, we like don't have as much money to spend. And that was a huge learning experience, but I will say, as the property manager now, I'm so fortunate that Kyle had the wherewithal to focus on these CapEx items because I don't get repair calls. I, for the most part, I mean, we do like, you know, saying we never do is, is a lie, but they're significantly decreased and it makes managing so much easier. So for example, uh, someone said, you know, do a time study and try to figure out where your time spent and like, why are you still property managing? You should really be hiring that out. It's a low cost relatively to the amount of time you could free up to then go expand your portfolio. And I did a time study. I don't spend a lot of time property managing, like maybe a couple hours a month, if that, if we have a turnover, you know, obviously that's a little bit more, but I was really looking and like my hourly rate property managing is quite nice. And that's something that I don't foresee us outsourcing anytime soon, especially because we are constantly doing full renovations in our units to set our future selves up for a lighter lift. And it would be very easy for us to put on paper and tell you exactly how much we've spent just in the past year, comparatively to the properties that we have done full renovations on and have really headed those CapEx items and the property that we inherited tenants and did not touch anything. A large amount has gone into just maintenance calls on that house that we haven't touched anymore. Yeah. I mean, not like a large amount, but comparatively <laughs> to our other properties, it, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And like, we always just kind of say like, we're not doing these deep renovations to make a property manager's job easier. Like one that we are, we're hiring. We're doing it to make my job easier. Yeah. <laughs> Do it right from the beginning. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys talked about scaling um, earlier. Um, you know, I feel like that is different in everybody's mind. What, what is your take on scaling? What, what does it look like to you guys? I would say scaling to us means still continuing down the path of a small, but mighty portfolio. Like we don't have aspirations of owning like hundreds and hundreds of units. So it really just means acquiring properties at a bit of a quicker pace right now. We're at like two to four units a year. We'd like to increase that so we can, um, you know, be work optional a bit sooner and doing it in a way that requires less exactly. time on our end. So whether that means outsourcing the renovations, whether that means maybe using a different property management software or hiring people for different things. Um, so really just like. Uh, Simply boiled down, just more properties, less work. Yeah. Very yeah. Good job. Right. I love that. That sounds so ideal. 
<laughs> Dude, I was watching I was watching them hang sheetrock the other day and I was like, yes. This is nice. <laughs> this is so nice. Like we went that out to nice. breakfast. Um, you know, we met them at the house, we made sure they were set up, and then we went out to breakfast and we're like, what do we do? Is this what normal people do? <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, every weekend you guys are are at it, right? I mean, yeah. it's pretty much your whole summer at this point. Yeah, and we've tried to like not be in a renovation in the summertime because we love the beach and we it love going to shore and it it just inevitably always happens i don't know how well this one was covid but yeah um, and the last one was covid yeah just speaks volumes to how long covid actually has I been know. <laughs> i know it's, it's crazy because that the uh big greens felt like so long ago mm-hmm. yeah you guys have an uh, a uh, deadline for your work optional and who who's gonna quit their job first gonna be me (laughs) at least you agree on that yes so kyle we both have really great jobs we both really love our jobs we love the people we work with but if you look at it from a strictly like financial and security standpoint kyle has a state job that comes with a pension and it just makes sense for him to stay also my job so, you know, you hear people say like, what's the worst going to happen? You have to, you have to just go back and get a job and be like everybody else. Kyle can't like leave his job for a year or two, realize that that was a mistake and go back. I could easily do that. My job, my experience is more marketable um, in a way that like the industry I'm in, you know, I could take some time off and then just go find another job. So it makes sense for me. And then if we're going to start having a family, you know, not to be like sexist, but it it makes more sense for me to be home more than Kyle. And we've strategic, we've known this. So we've, you know, strategized our portfolio uh, uh, in line with that. And we've put all of the mortgages in Lauren's name, um, just front loaded her with all them to reach that 10 mortgages. And then they would all just start going in my name. Uh, after that because I have the would have the W-2 income yeah. at that point. It's definitely strategic of us to make sure that one of us does have a W-2 income because we still want to be bankable by large banks. And you know, there are other ways to buy, do funding, you know, seller financing and private lending, but we're all about just having like as many options open to us as possible. So keep front loading me with all of the mortgages. So Kyle ha- is more open and flexible in the future was purposeful. Love that, that, you know, I don't know if you've ever told me that before, Lauren, that makes so much sense. I love your, your outlook, like on, you know, the big picture and looking out to the horizon. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. And I'm going to ask a question and I think I know the answer to it, but I think it'll be good for you guys to explain. You guys as a married couple own the properties together, but the mortgage is only in your name, Lauren. Right. And that's a, for strategic purposes, but the house itself is in both of your names. Right. Correct. And this is actually interesting because we actually had some lenders who said that this wasn't possible. And then I was like, no, no, it is. And so it is kind of funny. Like the more you invest and the more you do things, you actually kind of do sometimes start educating some people on different rules or guidelines within the funding industry. But yeah, so Kyle and I legally both, we have our names on the deed, both of us. Um, But for the majority of our properties, only the mortgage is in my name. So Kyle's lucky. I mean, he has like I got all the cash all the ownership and none of the debt. <laughs> That's incredible. And for people who maybe aren't, don't have a partner, like a married or girlfriend, mm-hmm. boyfriend, significant other type partner, that might be a way for them to understand how to get into some sort of partnership with 
somebody else who maybe knows a little more about real estate as well. Um, so I think that's really important to share as well and strategically and do this, it. Yeah. And you could take the strategy a step further. A lender that we were working with, you know, was like, don't get married yet. Like each of you should go out and get an FHA loan. Like yeah. we could really, yeah. you know, there's a way that you could work this and by getting married kind of closes some doors for you, you know, at that time, getting married was more important. Um, but there are definitely just like a lot of guidelines that if you're, if you do your research, you can help have them help you in your growth. Yes. We've met like a lot of like boyfriend, girlfriends that are, you know, they are settled and they have plans to get engaged and married and everything who are in that stage of wanting to start investing, which is, would be a great, um, stepping stone. Mm -hmm. You could always change it later too. Yeah. So, so you guys have used, you know, I feel like a couple different ways to purchase your properties. Um, obviously the conventional and the FHA, FHA you've done, um, have you done any like private money, hard money, any, any of those kinds of loans? We've done private money. We've never done hard money and private money kind of started. We had an off market deal that we were super interested in. We didn't have any cash. And so we first went to our family and friends to provide an investing opportunity, which it did not feel that way at the time. Yeah. We definitely felt like, you know, we were asking our parents for money, um, but our family did end up loaning us money on a short-term basis. You know, we, we signed a, a contract and everything to really legalize it. And it was like our first foray into private lending. And it's a really great option. And, and I think people think it's super intimidating, but it, you know, it really is a win-win for both the borrower and the lender. And one of the books that I love the most is Matt Faircloth's Raising Private Capital book. You know, we'll get people who DM us who say like, you know, can you give me a little refresher or a little rundown on private money? And I'm like, anything I tell you is just going to come from that book. So just buy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, he explains it so well. And, you know, sometimes people I feel like really gloss over different steps. And that was one of the things that was so intimidating to me was, how am I supposed to explain to somebody how private money works to convince them to do it if I don't even know how to do it myself? And Matt does a very good job in his book of walking through every detail. And which can bring us back to documentation. So because we documented our journey, our, our properties, what they cost, our market research on the areas that we invest, we were able to put together like an invest with us packet that can, you know, a lot of times, maybe they don't know a bunch about real estate and they just, they're just investors. They want to get into, you know, putting their money somewhere that's going to grow. So you're educating them on real estate investment as well. So being able to show them a, a history of, you know, what you're doing um, makes them a lot more comfortable and a lot easier to invest with. And to circle back to what we were saying about how you don't necessarily have to have a purpose behind everything you do. You know, when we started the Instagram account, we had, I, really no purpose. It was, I didn't want to spam my friends on my personal account, the ship lap we were putting up and, you know, we wanted to document it for ourselves and what it has turned into unbeknownst to us is an amazing like digital resume of who we are as investors, who we are as people, you know, we are super transparent. We share everything on the internet. And so that makes lenders like know and trust us because even though we may not necessarily know them, they're watching our Instagram, they're watching our YouTube videos. They feel like they know us and trust us. And so, you know, we go to private lender meetings occasionally and 
not even asking about our history or background or investing strategy. They just want to meet us to make sure that we're like normal, sane people. Like quick story time. We had a guy who ended up being a mutual friend of ours who reached out about private lending. Um, we set up a meeting at his office, everything. We talked to him. We thought it was going to be this big formal thing. We I like, had my iPad. Like, I had all the we numbers. We like practiced like, you know, what we were going to say and got there. And we just kind of like shot, shot the, the shit, shit for yeah. like two hours. We had like a beer. And by the end, we were like, we didn't even talk about investing. He's like, no, no. We, I mean, we're good. Like, uh, like uh, I'm ready. Like, I already know what you guys do and, and uh, everything. So that's the perfect example of how that documentation, you don't even need to really throw it out there. They already know and trust you. Mm -hmm. I love the digital resume. Yep. Absolutely. I was going to say, I started my Instagram just for the same exact reason, not to spam my friends. They all think I'm crazy. So I just wanted to start something on the side to document it because I think it's fun and a lot it of people fun. do it. And I meet people like each other, you know, like we would have yeah. never became friends or met each other if it wasn't for Instagram, which is so crazy to say, but it's true. I know. It, it really is. Me and Kirsten started with a DM. Like, it's crazy. I slid in her DMs and <laughs> here, we, here we are. Yep. Yep. After a meetup, he was like, hey, uh, I think I was looking for Excel help. And Bill was like, hey, I think I can help you. And I'm like, sweet. And now look at us. Isn't it so crazy how generous and giving everyone is in like the real estate investing community? Like that was it one thing crazy. that I was, I was kind of surprised by. And I know that a lot of people are surprised by is you think that it would be this like highly competitive mm -hmm. haters yeah, community and no one wants to help each other. I've never met anyone who's like held back or like tried to uh, make something more difficult for us. Every, like everyone's so generous and mm -hmm. it's just an amazing <laughs> community you want to see like oh <laughs> you want to see like like the the other side of of instagram go to the comment section oh. of a real estate page and post everybody is so positive you don't see any i mean except for like the bot trolls in there but the majority of people in there are super nice and Motivating. i've had positive yes. experiences with the real estate community on basically all of our social media uh, pages. You know, what's funny about that. Um, my parents, they, they uh, invested in real estate growing up and they actually, I, I, my mindset has totally shifted in the past five years since I found bigger pockets in the Instagram community. Um, they kind of like instilled in me that everybody else who was investing and flipping and had rental properties were our competition and like, you can't help them. And so like, I had, I was like in this world of solitude until I found all of these cool people to talk to. So yeah, I could, I completely agree. It's like now everybody I talk to just wants to help. Yeah. And it was like, so when we started off, we found a, a small market locally and we, it was like, well, do we talk about this? Well, yeah, you do want to talk about that with, with your investor group because, listen, Lauren and I can't buy the entire town. You know, you need other people to start raising property values in that area. That's important for appraisal costs and refi. So uh, what is it? What's the saying? Rising tides raise all boats. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're super transparent. We don't keep a secret. So speaking of areas you invest in, I know that you guys... Um, invest in two different areas. Um, so if you want to talk a little bit about that and why, and why you chose the two areas that you invest in. Sure. So 
while a lot of stuff we've been saying has been super strategic in the beginning this wasn't this was more just like this is where we saw opportunity and so we moved forward down not muted here (laughs) oh i'm not i'm sorry (laughs) that's all i almost yelled at our dog before too because he was like right about here (laughs) on me (laughs) oh my gosh he's just he is uh there must be another dog outside or something (laughs) (laughs) sorry guys it's okay (laughs) first podcast mistake this is real life exactly lauren i need that sheet on editing sooner rather than later (laughs) i don't know if i could help with this I'm i'm just kidding i'm just kidding um so while a lot of stuff we've said in the past has been super strategic investing in two different areas kind of wasn't it was more just a a means of opportunity but looking back now and moving forward it has been very strategic so we have been i was gonna say let's bring it back because we, we bought the house pack because it was an area basically that we liked and wanted to live in. It, it did semi-strategic in that, like we knew that, you know, properties were on the up, um, but it was an area that we enjoyed to live. It wasn't just like strictly investor based. Correct. Then property number two was in a little bit more of a lower priced area and really just a you know, that's how much money we had. And, and that's the numbers where we could like afford. so well. Yeah. And it has become one of our favorite areas, but now, you know, looking back and moving forward, we're kind of investing in both areas for some, a few different reasons, because if you're only investing for cash flow only in these like hundred thousand dollar properties, yeah, it's good for cash flow now. So if you are miserable at your job and you want to replace your income immediately, those might be the properties that you want to focus on. But are those the ones that are really going to give you long-term wealth? Are those the ones that are going to have high principal pay down or who are going to increase your net worth in the future? Probably not. And so we invest in those because we like the cash flow. But then we also invest in a little bit more high value areas. And those are the ones that we house hack in because it's the best way to make those properties work, if you will. Um, because these are the properties that are going to increase our network in the future that are really going to have those high principal pay downs. And so it's the balance of the two that we feel is like the perfect combination to create immediate cash flow and long-term wealth. And not to say that like our properties in the nicer areas don't cash flow, they do. Yeah. They just also have that appreciation and, and yeah. large principal pay down aspect. And because they appraise so high, we can build that equity to then later on become our own banks. They can hold that. Mm-hmm. They, they could hold enough value for a purchase and a renovation of a house in our other market area. And then what we do is use that refi money to then use as a down payment in the more expensive area. Genius. Love yeah. it. It's like a mic it. drop. <laughs> well, Kira, you do that too, no? Yes, we do. Yep. Exact same and reasons. Yours, and- was yours... Yeah. Was your strategic from the beginning or? Oh, was not same, almost the same thing as you we kind of, you know, the house hack, um, where we started because we wanted to live in that area. And, uh, we flipped at first in the, um, in our other market. So fell into it too. There you go. <laughs> now I can see you guys. Yeah. It got dark really quick. Yeah. Um, I guess so my, you know, just, Maybe last question, maybe one more. Um, you guys were talking earlier, you know, we're talking about like friends and how, you know, we're all helping each other in this little community that, that we have going on. Do you guys find that you lost friends um, throughout, you know, this journey of, of 
10 units and, and house hacking and like people think you are crazy and stop talking to you? I don't think, and maybe my friends can, can let me know. I don't think I've lost any friends. I definitely see them less, which like really does negatively affect me. Like I, I talk in buckets. So I'll say to Kyle, like my friend bucket's really low and I need to go see them or I need to go call them. And I definitely wish I could spend more time with them, but I do know that we're like building this really strong foundation to have a better future. So, you know, I'm okay. Like sacrificing that for now, knowing that this isn't just going to be our lives forever, but I will say like my, a lot of my friends, while they're like interested in what we're doing, they think it's cool. And like, they'll say great job. Like we don't talk about real estate. Yeah, no. Like definitely like the friends we've met on Instagram and at our local meetups, like fill that real estate itch, I guess, to talk about. <laughs> what about you? Yeah. we're And I mean, we're also big family people. So it's juggling free time, which is so spare for us to, you know, share between friends and family it, it definitely we i haven't lost friends during it but i could see um, how people would down, like yeah. your your like goals and priorities change and i think we both just already have friend groups that are super motivated and want more in life and even though it's not real estate yeah um we still are like on the same page and i think that's helpful yeah and and they're having kids now so that's also helpful because they, they also don't have any well. free time <laughs> <laughs> makes sense what about so, you guys? Do you feel like you do, like, don't have as much in common with your friends that maybe you had pre-real estate? I don't know. For me, a couple of my friends got their uh, real estate license. They don't really use it. They got it as a potential side hustle. Um, but I could see them totally getting into it. They definitely are keeping a uh, watchful eye on me. Um, one of my other friends, she married somebody who was super interested in um, house hacking and growing into real estate and a couple other friends work in the industry, weirdly enough. So nobody has kind of taken that venture into rentals or burr or bigger pockets or any of the crazy buzzwords or meetups that, or anything, but they're like weirdly adjacent to it. So I think everyone's super supportive of me and kind of keeping a watchful eye uh, to see how successful I can be and maybe eventually either partner up with me or um, do their own thing and kind of like we said earlier, I'd be kind of happy to help them along the way and any means necessary as they start. Yeah. It's definitely like reconnected us with people in the past who, yeah. like you said, who have like adjacent goals or plans to kind of get into what we're doing and they'll hit, hit us up kind of out of the blue. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, what's going on? I haven't seen you right. since like, like freshman science class. Yeah. Like this is awesome. Or like <laughs> elementary school. Like one of my buddies wow. said, well, he's an agent now. And he's like, yo, I love what you guys are doing. Like, I've been following you on Instagram or whatever, and he's an agent now. So mm -hmm. he's, he's helped us out with some, you know, look search property searches. So I love it. Yeah. It's funny when people tell you, you know, Oh, I follow you on Instagram. And you're like, you do like, you never say anything like what I, uh, I did an open house yesterday, um, for one of the properties that I've listed and, uh, you know, we were wearing our masks. Um, and, I look up at this guy, I'm like talking to the, he's holding a baby and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's such a cute, cute baby. What's his name? Blah, blah. And I, then I look up at the dad and I'm like, hey. And he's like, hey, we went to high school together. And he's like, 
oh, so, you know, I, I know you've been doing real estate. What, do you flip houses too? And, and you're doing something. I'm like, yeah. He's, I'm like, how'd you know that? He's like, I follow you on Facebook and Instagram. I'm like, you do? Like, <laughs> that came out of nowhere. I haven't spoken to you since high school and yet you follow me. So you never know who's watching. Definitely. Yeah. So I guess, um, wh- where are you guys going to go from here? I know you said you're busy working in the business instead of kind of on it, but what's your next, your next step? We really want to get two more. Well, okay. So let me change this. So originally our goal was to do two more burrs this year, but we are exploring like seller financing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I will just say, we just want two more cash flowing units because I don't really care how we get them. Yeah. The seller financing, it opens so many different doors that, you know, you may end up buying a portfolio, not even a property. Um, me personally, it's like, uh, I'm right when this pro- project's done, I want to dive back into, I wish I had the mind of you being able to like, like think about a million different things at once, but like, I can't do that. So it's like, once this project's done, like I've already got a GC lined up. Um, we've already talked. And once we find a burr, it's, it's like go time. We're going to hit those cold calls. Yeah. Lauren and I have been talking about cold calling <laughs> for, for, I don't know how many months now. And one call we got, we have an accountability group and got off the call and, um, she wound up cold calling. I'm like, I am so jealous that you can do that. Well, I think this is just the power of a support system. So I've never cold called my entire life. And I was just feeling a little like imposter syndrome me. Like I've, you know, I've been saying that we want to get a bird this quarter for however long, but like what actions might I really take to doing it? And I, you know, like, yes, here and there, we were looking for our next deal, but I really wasn't taking any direct action. And someone was on the phone with you here. And I was like, enough's enough. Like I need to take action. And our plan was to do a direct mail. I'd already pulled a list, but like <sighs> writing the letters and sending them out and then waiting for people to respond sound sounded so long winded. I was like, I'm just going to start calling people. So I started cold calling, got a few people to respond. Kyle and I went on two appointments. It hasn't turned into, into anything yet, but it's on the follow-up. I love the cold calling. Like I, I love that as, as uh, a way to find a property. I, you have so much more control over the narrative than just a card that's so easily thrown away. So yeah. Lauren, what, uh, what did you say? I know a lot of people are like, do you use a script or like, you know, how, how'd you, how'd you come up with what you were going to open with? So this is the theme because I knew that I could go down in a black hole on the internet of the perfect words to say in an opening of your call. I was like, I'm not going to allow myself to do that. I have one hour to cold call. I'm not wasting that trying to find the perfect words. So all I said was, um, you know, Hey, is Kirsten there? Yep. This is she. Hey Kirsten, you know, thank you so much for taking my call. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm just going to jump right to it. I'm looking to buy a house in, you know, Springfield. Um, and I was wondering if you were interested in selling yours on main street. And they either said yes or no. And the conversation went from there or they hung up. <laughs> and it, I mean, it worked well. Like it, it cut right to the chase. I had, you know, no one yelled at me, which I guess is what you're so scared of. People either said, thanks for calling. I'm not interested. Uh, I left lots of voicemails or I had a few people who said, uh, actually, yeah. You know, what questions do you have? And I didn't have any follow-up questions. I mean, I kind of panicked. I didn't really think we were going to make it that far. And I just, you know, kind of just asked them about the property. Um, Really, I just kept asking questions. You know, I learned that from 
uh, Kira and I were in SD of Rosenberg and Ashley Care little mastermind back uh, last year. And their big thing was just, you know, just keep the seller talking. And so I just kept them talking. I just kept trying to gain information. And then I made an appointment. And this goes back to like documenting what you're doing. Don't be scared to like put a camera in front of yourself and like film yourself doing the cold call. You're going to learn so much more in it than like listening to somebody that's like an expert cold caller, like teaching you how to cold call. Well, that's all well and good, but until you actually execute a cold call, you're not going to know how to implement those tools that they're trying to teach you because you're not going to know where to plug them in. So film yourself, do the call, rewatch it, see, whoa, I could have said this a little bit better. I should have drove the conversation in this direction. We did that at the beginning when we did mailers and we would film ourselves talking to the people on callbacks from the mailers. That was helpful. And that was really helpful. And you handle it the same way, except you're making the call instead of them calling you. I I love all of that. I mean, a lot of people I think totally get hung up on on having the perfect script, the perfect everything, and they get stuck in that analysis paralysis and don't take action. And you guys took took the action, made the call, and sometimes you do have to wing it, but I mean, you guys clearly know enough to know enough to, you know, make your way through a simple phone call with somebody. And at the end of the day, it's just a stranger. Um, yeah, exactly. And you know what? Now? That stranger doesn't know about real estate. So to be honest, the more like lay you could act, the better, because the more professional you act and like, it's actually a little bit intimidating for the caller and they don't, they just feel like they may be getting taken advantage of or something. So like right, the more are, conversational you can make it uh, definitely the better. Yeah. We are just Kyle and Lauren from down the street who exactly. are looking to buy a property in the area. Relatable. We're not this big company because, and I also think like, well, one, it's just more authentic for us. Like I can be that person because that's actually who I am. I was going to say, luckily, like that's kind of, that is who we are. Yeah, so. exactly. But, and so in the future, like, with creative financing or seller financing, I don't know every single step. And if I came off as a business and I'm a professional and I know exactly what to do. And then the seller asks me, you know, a question about the process of seller financing. I don't know the answer. That's going to ding me more than if I just come off as Lauren, just me, a local investor in the area. When they ask me that question, if I don't know the answer, it's not as alarming. Yeah. And they were, they, they react a lot better to, listen, I don't know that answer, but I'll, I'll get you that answer mm -hmm. and, and get back to you on it. Love it. Love it. I love it as well. <laughs> uh, I have a question circling back all the way to finding the GC. What's your criteria for finding a GC? How did that conversation go about? How did you find the person, Google, whatever? Cause I know a lot of people have issues with GCs and it's a, this big, scary monster of, no shows with subs and all of this mess. So I just wanted to. Yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been quite the journey. <laughs> uh, we uh, we've gone through a bunch. Um, there's a couple different ways that we've gone about it. Um, the first way that we went about it was going to the construction office in the town we were investing in and just asking them who has handed permits in um, for electrical or, uh, you know, sheetrock or uh, plumbing, whatever. Um, and they can't tell you, they can't suggest somebody, but they'll give you a list of names. Um, and then you can bring them out, walk the property, get a, uh, but uh, get a number, see where they fall. Do not take the cheapest because we did that and it did not turn out well. Um, but that's how you can backlog also those, those trades. Um, another way is what we really harp on, uh, the investor group, um, 
whoever's local to the area is going to be investing. They're going to, maybe they're not going to give you their number one GC, but they'll give you like their number two or three. And then from there, you can start developing relationships. And maybe you go see a property that they're working on so you can see the work. Um, that's something that I didn't do the first time when we chose our first GC was go see maybe an active project that they had going on and see if it's the quality of work that you want in your property. But um, two, two solid ways to really get quality GCs. I love it. I think that's all great advice. Me too. Well, I think, uh, Bill, if you don't have any other pressing questions. I don't think so. <laughs> so Lauren and Kyle, where can um, people, you know, reach out to you or find out more about you? We are the most active on Instagram and YouTube at Rentals to Wealth on both platforms. Um, we'd love for you guys to join us every Sunday morning as we release a new video on YouTube where we are kind of just documenting our journey, building our real estate portfolio. And definitely don't be shy in the review section. You know, if you think what I'm doing sucks, tell me it sucks. Uh, <laughs> leave a comment. Kyle leave a comment. I love out. to be called out and I love uh, engagement and you know, uh, that's how we get our future videos and you know, what we may want to do, uh, when we exactly are it's, in, in our portfolio. It's so. not a one-way street. Like we, yeah. we call it a community because it's supposed to be a conversation and we're supposed to be learning from each other. And if all we're doing is just posting videos and talking to you and there's no, uh, you know, back and forth and that's not good for us. Yeah. Great. Well, Agreed. thanks guys so much for um, being on our first guest on the Like-Minded Investors podcast. Thank you so, so much for having us. This was so fun. We love talking with you both. Awesome. Thank you guys. Have a great night. Later. <laughs>